The following program is supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. Close your eyes for a couple of minutes. Just close them tight. And are you any less intelligent? Are you any less incapable? Oh, I'm getting emotional. It's really hard to talk about. When I would talk to people about me having autism, they'd look at me and they'd be like, you don't look autistic. Marie, why don't you want to go to school anymore? And I said, because Roger picks on me. Are you any less mobile just because you've got your eyes closed? And the answer is no. He doesn't look autistic or he'll grow out of it or everyone's just a little bit autistic or on the spectrum. We got that a lot and we get that a lot. And this is what happens is when young people like that are bullied, they don't want to go, they don't feel like they fit in, they're not being included. You know, we all just need to break down these barriers and stigmas and just all get along. I'm not that comfortable with saying I'm a dwarf, but that's up to me to say it. It's not up for someone to call me that. If you knew what autism is and the challenges that we face on a daily basis, you wouldn't be making such a bold comment like that. I think it comes down to misconceptions and misrepresentation. Don't label people, don't put labels on people. Treat each person as an individual, whether they have special needs or not. Each person is unique in their own way. Each person strives in their own way. Because I want people to understand the experience because then they can understand how to communicate with others, how to be inclusive and supportive of people who are going through limb difference where they themselves can't represent what they're going through. My disability does not define me. I don't have a disability. I have a different ability because I am differently abled. Prepare to shatter preconceived notions and misconceptions about disabilities with 2MFM's groundbreaking interview series, Differently Abled. Be inspired by a group of individuals who are challenging stereotypes every day. Differently Abled. Paving the way for a more inclusive tomorrow. Just
Down syndrome is a genetic condition that affects approximately one in every 700 births worldwide. And despite being relatively common, people with Down syndrome and their families still face negative stereotypes and stigma in many societies. These misconceptions can lead to discrimination, exclusion and a lack of opportunities for individuals with Down syndrome to reach their full potential. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Najat Kabara, a devoted mother who is passionate about raising awareness for people with Down syndrome. Najat's daughter has Down syndrome and she has been advocating for her and others with the condition for many years. Najat is an inspiration to many parents and caregivers who are navigating the challenges of raising a child with special needs. In this interview today, Najat will share her personal experience of raising a daughter with Down syndrome, discuss common misconceptions about the condition and offer valuable insights into the importance of inclusion and acceptance. Najat, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how your journey started with your daughter, Nadia? Um, yeah, sure. So I'm 33 years old. I have a daughter, Nadia. She's eight years old. I'm a single mum. My journey started when I was, uh, I think I was 24 at the time, and I had been told that I may have a child with Down syndrome. Uh, so I am a business owner. I own an event hire business and styling. So I do spend most of my time in that industry and it is good because it is a creative outlet for, for myself. So talk to us going back in time when Nadia was born. Tell us about how that experience was for you. It was quite difficult at the beginning when Nadia was born. We really didn't know anything about Down syndrome. It was all new to myself and my family. So my journey started at my 18-week scan. I remember going to the hospital where they told me that I do have, uh, they'd picked up um, something on the scan. So basically there are markers that you can be picked up on the ultrasound. With Nadia, it was an absent nasal bone, which is common for children with Down syndrome. Um, at that time, they did ask me if I wanted to do any further testing or um, get an amnio done, but um, I did refuse any further testings because mm. I just said there's no reason to... Because you won't be aborting I this I won't be pregnancy. aborting the pregnancy. You can also have a chance of a miscarriage, so it's not really going to change the outcome. Why am I going to put myself through all that additional stress? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just relied on Allah at that time and I had faith that whatever happens is meant to be. You went on with the pregnancy. How many weeks did you deliver, Nadia? And tell us about your initial reaction upon her delivery. Mm, I delivered Nadia at 38 and a half weeks. I remember it being a high-risk labour and delivery, so there were quite a lot of nurses and doctors in the room at that time. It was quite overwhelming. When I remember when they put her on my on on my chest, the doctor did. I asked the doctor, "Does she have Down syndrome?" And the, and the whole room went quiet. Mm. So no one really knew what to say at that time. And mm. as a mum, I feel like you just that mum instinct. You know, in your heart, mm. you know that. I knew she had Down syndrome. You just know in your heart. Is it because that of her distinctive features or is it you prepared yourself for I that moment? Yes, I did prepare. When I when they told me in the scan that I might have a child with Down syndrome, I prepared myself by just going online and learning as much as I can mm. about, you know, Down syndrome and, and the disability world. I just, I had a feeling. Mm. Even though 
when I was pregnant, they did tell me my chances were one in 1,000. So it wasn't really a high, you know, one in 1,000, you wouldn't think in a room that you'll be picked to have a child with Down syndrome. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah, but I just knew... But nothing can prepare you for that experience and that journey ahead. A lot of people do have a basic understanding of what Down syndrome is, but it's not until you experience it firsthand where you realise how much knowledge we're actually lacking and understanding about the world of Down syndrome. Definitely, yeah. I feel like there is a lack of education and just basic knowledge and awareness regarding Mm. Down syndrome. You know, they say you don't know what it's like until you live in that you know, or you experience having a child with a disability. It changes your your whole life around. That's right. Um, And it could be for positive as well. So, you know, you learn and you grow and you become a better person as well. That's right. That's right. So how would you say your reaction was or how did you cope with the news of your daughter's diagnosis in addition to your family and friends around you? Yeah, look, to be honest, I did feel like my walls came crashing down because it was quite hard in the beginning. I feel like when you're when you're pregnant and it's your first, you know, first time mom, you have a girl, you just, you put a picture in your head mm-hmm. of what that little girl is going to be like. And then when that, that child is born, obviously it's a whole different scenario to what you've put in your head, you know, and your, your journey in your life changes and it's not the journey that you probably mm-hmm. wanted. But that's not to say like at the beginning it was hard, but I would say like now after eight years, I've learned so much and, you know, it doesn't, her diagnosis doesn't define her. She's worthy of being loved just for who she is. Mm. In the beginning, I remember like my friends and my family, they didn't know what to say. It was quite awkward. I'd have people come in to visit me in the hospital and it was just like awkward silence. Did they also steer clear away from saying congratulations? Something yeah. that you were <laughs> yearning to hear, you yes. know, some simple word the funny thing is the first time I heard congratulations from a doctor was when my daughter was three months old and I wow. took her to the GP yeah yeah and I at that time I started crying I was like no one's ever said congratulations to me like that yeah. was a big thing and you were yearning um, to hear those yeah. words just oh, because- and my friends didn't say congratulations they they mm. said did you know mm. and what's Someone that's gone through that journey, you don't ask, did you know? Right. You know, we deserve a congratulations as well. That's right. You embraced yeah. motherhood. Of and course. you're entitled to those words, as is your daughter Nadia. You that's know, right. To be brought into this world and to be treated like any other child. That's right. It does come with... You know, she's a child, you know, she's a soul, she's an amana, just like any other child. It's she she mm. deserves that, the love and, and like just like anyone else, I think. That's right. And yeah. I think that's that's the purpose of our discussion today is to teach people to prepare them if they were to have a family member who gave birth to a child with a disability, it's important for them to be aware of the type of um, language they use and how to embrace and how to approach that situation. That's right. Do you think we're getting better in time? Do you think there's a long way to go or do you feel like there's a lot more education and awareness now than there was eight years ago? Um, I definitely feel like we've come such a long way, but there is still quite a long way to go. I would say like even if your friend or your family member has given birth to a child with Down syndrome, just try and be there for them as much as you can and give them their space as well because they might not be ready to let people in or they might be, you know, struggling Mm. as well during that time. But I think just being there as a friend or, you know, as a family member, helping them is really important as well. What are some things that we should 
not say, you know, if a family or friend has given birth to someone with Down syndrome, should we be saying, I'm sorry? Should we be saying, as you said, yeah. um, ha- did you know? Yeah. What are mm. some words that we should totally keep away from? I think, yeah, the words, I'm sorry, did you know? Um, I was told things like, is she going to outgrow grow it? Mm. Or some family member said, no, the doctors are wrong. Mm. which is, you know, the doctors are not... Is there medication that they can yeah, take for Yeah, yeah, especially being, you know, in that community, there's not much awareness That's within right. our community. It's quite taboo. And, yeah. you know, we look at the historical facts about children with Down syndrome and how they were looked down upon, how they were treated like they were not part of society, they were not important. Yeah. They were uh, People with Down syndrome like 50 years ago were in institutions. So yeah. that's so scary to think like if Nadia was born in a lifetime ago like that, exactly. what, what could have been, you that's know? Right. We have come a long way, but I feel like we can as a community still do so much more. And there's no denying that for you as... Um, a mother of someone with special needs, it does come with its challenges. It's not to say yeah. that you had your fears, you had your concerns. Talk to us about some of your biggest fears and concerns that you had at that point about raising a child with Down syndrome. Did you have any or did you think, no, this is, mm-hmm. I need to embrace it with positivity? Look, in the beginning, I think my biggest fear was just the fear of the unknown. You know, you don't know what your future is going to Already be Already like. as a mother, yeah. you know, a first-time mum. It's it hard comes, being a first-time exactly, mum. Exactly, navigating like, motherhood Exactly, for the first just time. navigating motherhood. Or, yeah. You know, you yeah. know, she was still a baby at the end of the day. She still needs love. She still needed to be fed. She, like, mm. you know, on top of that, you don't know what the future is going to hold. You don't know. Mm. I think that was my biggest fear, just the fear of the unknown and not really Mm. knowing how our journey was, you know, going to unfold. Yeah. And also in terms of Nadia's future, you mentioned during pregnancy, a mother typically thinks about her child's future and what it will constitute. You have that added fear as well about how society will embrace her. Yeah. Uh, will they treat her well? How would she fit in in, in a school environment? That's will right. she be bullied? You know, there's all those fears and concerns that you might have had. But do you feel like you became empowered with education? What were the steps that you took to educate yourself? Um, yeah, definitely. I feel like the, you know, in the beginning, I actually, if someone used to say something or a doctor, I used to go home and cry. I wasn't as strong as I am now. Eight years later, I didn't know how to respond, mm. you know, to the arrogant doctors or someone speaking to me, you know, or saying something that's hurtful. But it's so sad yeah. to, to hear that. As a doctor, yeah. you know, they're positioned to actually inform and educate patients, right, and to empower them with knowledge and tools that they need. But it's sad to see that sometimes they're the reason why we yeah. feel the way we because feel. Because they don't see that person with Down syndrome maybe as a as a child or as a like... If that to them, makes, they're a number, yeah, right? Yeah. It's just another number. You know, during your pregnancy, you spent a lot of your time researching you spent a lot of time asking questions yeah. because you wanted to be ready, but nothing yeah. can prepare you for that. But then, you know, when you have to encounter those comments and those remarks and those attitudes, it feels like you don't have that support. So yeah. what would your advice be to those medical professionals who are dealing with patients with Down syndrome? How should they approach their um, patients? I would or- say don't. When a patient comes through, don't see the Down syndrome first. See the patient for who they are. So a lot of professionals see the Down syndrome first and a lot of professionals actually blame 
everything on the Down syndrome and they don't say if like my daughter's sick or something, everything will just get blamed on her Down syndrome and they wouldn't even seek answers for my daughter because mm. she does have her, her disability. Yep. I think just see the, the person, the child for who they are before their diagnosis, whether it's Down syndrome or, or anything else, you know, if a mum comes in that's worried, like help them get answers and support them. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Very, very important advice. But your perception of parenting in general has shifted from the moment that Nadia came into this world and your attitudes and perceptions. Were there any kind of misconceptions that you personally had Down syndrome that has changed or shifted ever since you sort of, you know, embraced that world of Down syndrome? I don't know, not really in the beginning. I didn't really have any misconceptions. But to be honest, like everything I learned online about Down syndrome is nothing what I'm experiencing at the moment. So I would say like each child is different. Mm. And, you know, just because there's an article or something that you read online doesn't mean Mm. that that's going to be my child. I would probably say a lot of people think that, Mm. you know, they put kids with Down syndrome in a category or group like each kid with Down syndrome is different and I would probably say maybe in the beginning I probably did that as well you know I thought maybe they have similar likes or dislikes just you know Mm. that's just about what what I read online but then obviously being in that raising a child with Down syndrome you see that you know each child is an individual and each child is different. As with motherhood you know each experience is quite diverse and you know I did speak with a parent who has a child with autism and she mentioned as well when it comes to the autism spectrum no two people with autism are the same and it's the same with Down syndrome yeah I had also an interview with someone uh, a parent of someone with Down syndrome and her experience is completely different to yours yeah and it's important that we open our eyes to that where you know in terms of the abilities the developmental delays in terms of the physical problems that come with it so we know that every child with down syndrome is unique and may experience different developmental delays so it's important that we factor that in and we don't I guess tarnish that person's abilities just because as you said we read an article or we heard some information give us more information about her specific delays and issues that she's experienced since Um, birth She's gone through a lot. Like Nadia has gone through a lot. Like I said, I was speaking to a parent who has a daughter with Down syndrome and she mentioned that when her daughter was born, she had no issues at all. Her heart was perfectly fine. She was functioning better. But it wasn't until she got older where she started to go backwards in terms of her development. Yeah, a lot of kids regress. Yeah, regressed as well. That's right, yeah. Does she have any health complications? When Nadia was born, um, she did have low oxygen. So she was in the hospital for an additional two weeks. Mm. It was quite hard actually in the hospital at that time without Mm. without Nadia. She had trouble feeding, so she wasn't able to latch. Are those some common complications that children with Down syndrome typically experience when they're first born or is that something that was quite rare and unique? Could, I'm not sure. It could be tip, It could be something that is typical mm. for kids with Down syndrome where they do have low mm, um, oxygen. Oxi- yeah, and mm. also the feeding because kids with Down syndrome have low muscle tone, mm-hmm. um, especially around the, around, you know, the face and the mouth area so they can't control their muscles mm. well. So we did have to do a lot of exercises in the beginning. 
Other than that, in the beginning, there wasn't any major health issues, but Nadia has struggled with her development. So she has been diagnosed with severe global developmental delay Mm. um, on top of her diagnosis of Down syndrome as well. So I would say she's quite, you know, not, she's not really a typical child with Mm. Down syndrome. I feel Mm. like she does, she's eight years old now. She Mm. doesn't walk. So Mm. at the moment, she doesn't feed herself. A lot of those things. You've, you've mentioned in one of the posts in 2022 that she was diagnosed with a duplicate on chromosome 7. So she has Down syndrome and a second duplicate, right? That's right. That's quite rare. Is that what you were talking about or is that something different? Um, no, it is something different. So because Nadia hasn't developed like the other children with mm. Down syndrome, actually advocated mm. a lot to get further genetic testing for her because... I feel like maybe I was missing something or there was something else that the doctors haven't seen. Mm. Um, so when we did run the genetic testing, we found that she does have an extra duplicate on chromosome And how does seven. that affect her because development and her daily life? Because it's quite rare. There's not enough studies or research to mm. say how it affects how it, her, her. How it can be amended. Yeah. And, and but I did um, come across a Facebook page, actually, mm. of a chromosome oh, seven. Okay. And I found other mums mm. from all over the world and they've linked it to like autism or, mm. you know, global developmental delay. So you're here trying to find answers for your daughter because you look at her and you see her situation in terms of her milestones. And she's not reaching those milestones that, you know, maybe a typical child with Down syndrome That's right. has, right? And is that what raised the, the alarm bells for you? Yes. You, because you realise that you weren't really reaching anything. Yeah. She's experienced a lot of intense therapy and therapy That's throughout right. her life. Do you find that you really didn't go anywhere with that? Or? She's been having therapy since she was three months old. So I started quite early mm. and, you know... Each, as we said, each child's different. There's mm. been, you know, mums that I've met that have are worried about their children and they've sought past Nadia, mm. you know. It doesn't matter. I just, I've come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter if I do therapy once a week or, or 10 times a week. Nadia is who she is and I can't change that. Mm. And I think I've had to come to the reality of that. But of course, you do want answers as to why why Nadia, like, you know, why she's, Mm. you know, quite different to other children with Down syndrome and why she's quite, I don't like to use the word severe, but she is, you know, on paper, she's quite severe Mm. compared to, yeah, Mm. medically speaking, speaking. she's quite severe compared to her her peers. That's with, even with Down syndrome. That's right. And as we said, no two people with Down syndrome are the same. So you have that added work, added responsibility as well to take care of those extra needs. You also mentioned that she was diagnosed with autism, level three as well. You've got a raft of things that she has to deal with and to cope. How how do you feel like she sees the world? How do you feel like, you know, she responds to the world? I feel like Nadia views the world so different to us. And Mm. when she sees something as uh, scary, I never used to quite understand how something so small can be so scary Mm. to her. But then after her recent diagnosis of autism, I think it made a lot more sense that it's Mm. not the Down syndrome. It could be the autism on how she views the world and her, her awareness and her space around her. Absolutely. And again, She's nonverbal as well. That's so right. how do you feel like that also plays into the mix? How do you cope with the challenges of communicating with her as a nonverbal child? What's your communication style um, with her? With Nadia, um, 
it's basically just understanding her needs and her cues. Mm. We do do some sign language. She's not a big fan of it, mm. but it's just basically understanding and knowing her cues. So, you know, there could be certain a certain way of how she likes things. And mm. if she's um, upset or if she's sad, she does express those really well. So she's quite her... The her, way she expresses her herself, emotions. Yeah. yeah, she can express herself quite mm. good. So if she's happy or sad... But She'll it's smile just, and laugh. Yeah. But when it comes to yeah, her feeling quite scared or do you feel like when she's it's in just pain... Not, not knowing. It's not knowing what, what's her... Like, say she's unwell, you have to sort of guess, is it her tummy? Does she mm. have a headache? Does she... She can't say, oh, mummy, my tummy hurts, you know? Mm. Or I have a headache or... What about if she grunts or, like, like a specific noise or... Like, if she makes a specific noise or if she grunts, you still mm. have to... It is a guessing game. Of course. Yeah, yeah just course. To, to see. She wouldn't, like, be able to point and no, say stomach or nothing no, like that. Subhanallah. Yeah, yeah. So it is quite challenging, in, in especially when she's unwell. Is there any, like, specific therapy that is used to sort of help with that, to help her sort of... So you mentioned with sign language, so but she's is. not really... And, and the thing is... With children with special needs, you have to see what works for them, that's what right. they enjoy. It's yeah, not about right. what's easy for you. Yeah, it's about right. what's easy for We've them. We've tried so many different things. We've tried the, you know, the sign language. Mm. She does do some signs. Yeah. Um, there's also, you can get like picture books where, you know, you can print out her favourite things and she mm. can point to them. There's even an iPad that they have for children now, mm. you know, with an additional app where kids can point and even verbalise and, you know, you press the button and it tells, yeah. yeah. So technology, technology is revolu- yeah. revolutionising the way yeah. we communicate with Definitely. non-verbal children. Yeah, um, and just because a child is non-verbal, that doesn't mean they don't understand. That's you know, true. I think a lot of people think that they don't. Like mm. with Nadia, we don't really know her level of understanding, but I always talk to her as if I would talk to any other child because mm. uh, just getting that into her brain and into her mind on a daily basis... She's very routine-based, so, you know, she comes to understand that. She thrives off routine. Yeah. She thrives off routine. Yeah. And it's important, yeah, to see what kind of lifestyle works for her. Um, That's you right. Shift the way you work, the way you live for your daughter to ensure that she is, you know, receiving the best care and the best quality of life that she can possibly achieve because yeah. she's entitled to it. She That's deserves right. a, a good life. But I've noticed that with a lot of the videos that you upload on social media and how you communicate and talk to her like she's a young child you're communicating with her normally what can I do for you and what's wrong you know like you still attempt you still have that connection and communication with her and I feel like that's part of you showing that you do not give up on your daughter just because of the hardships that you're experiencing because there are quite a number of people who tend to give up on their children you know because it's too hard for them yeah And that's part of why you are an inspiration to many people around the world because they see you as someone who is quite active in society. You work very hard for yourself and for your family. And at the same time, you are such a great advocate and such a great carer for your child and you deserve to be commended for that. Um, Thank you. So how what is a typical day like for Nadia? How do you involve her in everyday activities, in mealtimes or playtime? Talk to us about a typical day and also when you're not present with her, who looks after her, um, what happens in that regard? I would say every day is quite different. At the moment, she actually started school this year. So 
I think that's quite good for her routine as well. She's still getting used to the school environment, the teachers there. Mm. So Nadia needs full-time care. Basically, I have to do everything for her as her mum. So, you know, when we wake up, she needs to be fed. She needs to be changed. Talk to us about what what she likes to eat, what she likes to play with, because there are children with special needs who have something that they focus on, they enjoy so much, that makes them happy. They're safe territory. Is there something like that for Nadia? Do you feel the like TV. the TV? Yeah. The TV. Yeah. <laughs> something we try to avoid. Yeah, I try to with avoid the TV so yeah. much, but that's her safe that's space. That's her safe, yeah. Just her home environment is mm. her safe space. Mm. You know, I try not to push her too much at home with therapy because mm. that's where she feels safest the most. And um, a lot of therapists push for me to, you know, do things at home mm. with her. But I try not to push her. I let her feel safe in her environment. I let her explore. I actually just mm. let her do her own thing. I'm not an uh, overbearing mom. I try not to baby her. You know, she has a little play area. She makes her way there because she does actually crawl now and, you know, she can get around. So she makes her way there. She, You know, she has her own favourite toy that she likes or... So she's um, pretty much fixated on routine and she yeah. thrives off routine. Yeah, that's right. So you try to make it as consistent as you can. Yeah. But throw the intense therapy into the mix. I've noticed with a lot of um, the videos, she's not really a fan of intense therapy. No. And um, it's very difficult on you as a mother watching your daughter struggle, you yeah. know, w- when it comes to therapy. You feel like she's not comfortable. You, you feel like she's not enjoying it. When you're not enjoying something... You're not going to thrive in it. Yeah, You're not no, do it's heartbreaking. Well. You know, you see your child crying or, or not mm. wanting to do something. Mm. As a mum, of course, you want to push your child, but you don't want to see them in pain. With Nadia, because of her, she has, uh, like, insecurities that she's, you know, she, so she's capable of doing things, but she's just scared. And mm. that the scare, the fairness and the scare, like how that's just from how she views the world mm. and how she sees things. So she's quite scared to walk and she's quite scared to get up, you know, because she views the world from the floor. So imagine her standing upright, how different that would be for her. That's right. And the intense therapies have been quite good because she is routine based. So most of her gains have came from the intense yeah. therapy. Yeah. And it's just about bringing that to your weekly therapy or to your home environment. And I think taking your the intense therapy to your home environment has been the, mm. the main struggle for us because she can do things at therapy, but she won't really take it home, mm. if that makes sense. Yep, yep. And what about in terms of like in, in a social setting? Do you find that she is happy to be around other children? Do you feel like she... Oh, she loves kids. She loves kids. Yeah, and I know she, she loves her cousins. Yeah, right? she, yeah, her cousins are her favourite. Everything, that's good. Yeah, that's they're everything good. to her. Even when we go to the park or, you know, even at therapy, she just wants mm. to sit and watch the kids. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. No, that's, that's yeah. excellent. That's really yeah. good to hear. Talk to us about her cousins. You know, her cousins have sort of grown with her. And how do you find their attitudes in comparison to other children are in terms of their understanding of children with disabilities. Because when it comes to children, we know they're, they're quite honest. They can be quite honest with their remarks. Yeah. You know, what's wrong with yeah. her? Why is she like that? They, they're very honest with their opinions. How have you found her relatives? Because they've 
been I think around because her for so they've long. grown around her since birth. They she's didn't part really, of them. Mm. She's part of the family. They didn't really question or see her as, as any other. different, mm. you know. Mm. As they grew, I feel like they did start questioning, but mm. that's because they want to help her. They want to guide her, you know. Yep. They want to play with her, but I feel like they didn't really see her or mm. question or tease or, you know, things that you would typically see with other children that haven't been mm. around kids with Down syndrome. And that really reflects the notion and idea of having them exposed to children of different abilities, being That's around right. them, because if they're not exposed to children with special needs, then That's right. they're going to find it quite strange. They're going to laugh. They're going to mock. They're yeah. going to use very negative expressions. So... It really, it's it's so important to, to have them part of our society because they yeah. do belong. They deserve, yeah. you know, being part, you know, of our society. So we mentioned early on that, you know, Down syndrome is quite common, but there are still many misconceptions and misunderstandings surrounding the condition. And what happens or what tends to happen with these misconceptions is that they can lead to negative stereotypes and discrimination against individuals with Down syndrome. What are some common misconceptions about Down syndrome that you've experienced or some instances where, you know, you spoke about the beginning and some of the remarks at the beginning, but what about in a like a public setting or around family and friends or anything like that where they've said something that is yeah. insensitive? I think the biggest misconception is that, you know, people, kids with Down syndrome are a burden to society and, you know, that's not true. You know, I've never seen Nadia as a burden at all like that hasn't really crossed my mind and basically mainly that you know they're not you know kids with down syndrome are not capable or they can't be a friend or they're not you know active members in society I would say that's probably the biggest misconception but they do contribute in society but when it comes to Nadia and her situation of course she has the you know, she has autism and she views the world differently, but it doesn't mean that she is not entitled to participate in society. That's right. You still advocate for her. That's you still right. push for her to, to achieve the best quality of life that she can achieve. And also, you know, when it comes to Nadia, she's been in and out of hospital so many times. So yeah. that in itself for a child to deal with. Yeah, it's quite hard. <laughs> it's She's actually developed a trauma. Like that's you right. can't really touch her face or you should get scared if anyone comes yeah. in next to her. That's right. You know, that's it's right. quite hard for a child uh, having to deal with that. That's right, exactly. You mentioned, you know, in the past, people with Down syndrome were often institutionalised and excluded from mainstream society. But do you feel nowadays there's much more inclusion? They're more included I go to the local supermarket and I see someone with Down syndrome working and yeah. it just makes me so happy to see that they're contributing to society. They're given, not that they're contributing, but they're given the opportunity to contribute yeah. because they can contribute. That's right. And they do contribute That's right. if you allow them to. That's right. That's it. That's exactly what it is. It's just giving, mm. allowing them and giving them the opportunity That's you right. know, to work or to be an active member of the community. That's and right. I think the the biggest, the, I think here the biggest thing at the moment is that kids with, you know, additional or special needs have to go to special schools. Like why do why does my kid need to mm. be, you know, that's not inclusion to me. My kid is separate to your, your kid. They don't really accept children with special needs. So like my child, even in mainstream, she didn't get accepted mm. you know it wasn't mm. my choice mm. I didn't have a choice where I had to where I could send my daughter to school it wasn't up to me it was up to the department of education and you know I'm her mom I should have a say where she goes 
I feel like we still need to grow here in Australia in that aspect because there's segregation, there's inclusion, but there's also like um, there's acceptance and then there's inclusion. I feel like maybe we are accepting that, you know, Mm. we're accepting of people with disabilities, Mm. but are we really including them in society? That's right. Yeah, exactly. When you say that, you know, there's a specific school yeah. for those with special needs, we are segregating them. Yeah. We, we need them to be a part and amongst our children. That's right. Not just a one-off, not That's to come right. for, you know, a TED Talk or That's like, right. you know, public speaking ceremony. Yeah. It's more so yeah. about getting our children to see that experience through their and eyes. And I think when we get to that stage, then that's when, you know, the children will become more mm. receptive to, you know, other children that's with right. disabilities. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it also goes back to the parents as well. You know, it starts with the parents and the role and responsibility that yeah. they have in educating their children and, you know, instilling yeah. in them that proper understanding and compassion and yeah. care and, and proper knowledge, getting them to be a part of their activities and not excluding them in any way. But did you personally experience any kind of discrimination against Nadia? You know, is there any... Oh, definitely. What kind of... Give like, us some main uh, examples. Could, most of it, most of, to be honest, most of it was when I took Nadia out in public and uh, to the park. Mm. You know, you wouldn't think um, to the park, you know. But it's mostly... The kids that do, even parents, Mm. some parents stare, some Mm. parents grab their child and they shush them and they push their child away as if like, you know, my child's not a monster. She's not like, you know, she, why would you do that? It's. Mm. They see your child as a threat. Yeah. And a risk to their children. Yeah. Or Um, no, I feel like they just don't know how to educate their child. And that's a big reason when I first started my blog, it was about awareness, but now it's about bringing that mm. conversation into the homes of of parents where they feel comfortable yeah. having that conversation. I've had so many people message me and say thank you for raising awareness because I've been able, able to have that conversation with my child where previously I wouldn't know mm. how what to, to say. It. Yeah, how to approach the situation. You know, it's okay to say that Nadia is different. I'm not saying she's not, you Mm. know. All kids are different. And I think that's how we have to sort of go to the child's level and explain that. And if you see a child in the park, I think it's important if your child questions Mm. to just even come up and say hello. I don't mind Mm. if your child, if you come up and say hello to us or even if your child has questions, you know. That's right. Kids are curious. They're just, kids are innocent. They don't mean you know, any harm. Of course, it's Mm. upsetting. You know, I used to go home and cry, but Mm. it's not the, you know, the the child's fault. It's the, the, they don't really know or they don't really understand or have that concept of of disability. So I feel like as parents, it's so important to have that conversation. That's right. You know. Yeah, again, it starts with those children. created us all different. Absolutely. And it also goes with people of different racial backgrounds. You know, if they see someone with dark skin, don't sit there and call them names or someone from, you know, an Asian background as well. That's right. Um, That's where it starts. You know, they start to make a mockery of someone who looks different to them, appears different, who speaks differently, who looks different. But we need to explain to them. And, you know, it comes back to our religion compassion and understanding that you know all creations are yeah. created differently so what are what is your advice in terms of how we can raise awareness and break down stereotypes about down syndrome 
what would your advice be to those parents? Because that's the yeah, that's think, the core. Yeah. That's where it starts, as we said. I think yeah, it starts within the home. So how how Before, would you how should they approach the conversation with their children about children yeah. with disabilities? Like I said, just telling the child that you know we are mm. all created. It could be it doesn't have to be an in depth conversation. It could just be simply as you know we are all different. Mm. There's pe- like just like a typical child. One mm. child likes blue, but other no, another child likes red. Yeah. You do yeah. get what I mean? That's right. It, it's just like we are all created differently, not really just people right. with disabilities. Even within the same household. Yeah. You know, you have, you know, two children who have the same gender, but they have different qualities. Right. One is more, I guess, emotionally charged. One, you know, is a lot more receptive to their yeah. emotions. Each child is different. No two people are the same. And I think when it comes to children within the disability space as well, we need to understand that each needs are different to the other. Um, But it's important to educate ourselves. You know, maybe approach that parent and say, how can I, what does she like? What does Nadia like? What can I do to sort of make her feel included? You know, it's important for people not to shy away from approaching you and asking questions, right? Some people might say, oh, keep away, like, I don't want to really talk yeah. about it, you know. I've actually lost a lot of friends when Nadia was born because I feel like they didn't know how to approach mm. the situation or they didn't know what to say or, you know, and then we just... Is it because they said the wrong things or because they just, no, they just didn't decided to stay away? Yeah, I feel like it was just a bit awkward for people. You don't need friends you know? like that. If yeah. they're not, it's about the quality of friends, of not course. the quantity. Of course, and then, you know, you also find... Yeah. new friends that are on a similar path to yep. you as well yep. they could be quite understanding of what you're going through absolutely how do you see the future for your daughter and other children with special needs what are you hopeful of obviously what gets you going every day is that hope yeah you know and having the quality of patience is embedded as part of our religion being patient with our adversities and hardships do you fit that as part of your life you know that your faith, is your faith a big part of your life in helping yeah. you be strong in, in the face of adversity? I feel like if it wasn't for my faith or, you know, being a Muslim, I wouldn't be able to get to where I am now. I think that's what's kept me going. And, you know, from the beginning, the doctors would question why I wasn't aborting. And mm. I would tell them, this is what my faith teaches me, you know. And I mm. feel like if it it wasn't for my faith and wasn't for that I wouldn't be as patient as I am today because of course every mm. you, you know you have the intention and everything that I do for my daughter you know I know that I'm going to get rewarded for it as well exactly yeah. with you know sacrifice there comes great reward and you have shown that from the beginning of this journey you didn't want to give up on Nadia yeah and that shows a lot of strength there are people who give up very early on and you have never ever considered giving up at the end of the day you are a mother and she's your child and she deserves love care and compassion by you and by everyone around her so you know in looking to the future what are you hopeful of what are you going to work towards in in trying to advocate for her and trying to help her achieve that you know quality of life that she deserves yeah I think just for Nadia at the moment it's more trying to focus on her being you know Mm. as independent as possible as as she can be so Mm. working on those you know life skills and and so for the future it's not quite you know it could be easier Mm. um and 
we're really focusing on her getting up and being able to walk because that's quite a big thing, her not being able mm. to walk. And I feel like that's probably the most important thing for us at the moment right getting now. Getting her to walk. Getting her to be as independent as possible and having those skills to, you know, dress mm. herself or feed herself or, you know, for me, it's not about the ABCs or the or the one, two, threes. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just... It's making, for her sake. It's yeah, for her sake so that yeah. she can, like we said, achieve that quality of life yeah. that, that she deserves. Yeah. Um, you know, she's obviously getting older. She's getting heavier. That's right. So carrying her is, is yeah. proving to be more difficult for you as well. Yeah. That's why you haven't given up, you know, regardless of how slow and steady that process is in terms of her therapy. You've chosen to not give up yeah. and say, oh, it's not working out. Well, khalas, I'm just yeah. going to leave her as, as she is and let her deteriorate. I, I actually did have a doctor tell me last year that she's never going to be able to walk. Mm. But I just, I've never put that in mm. my head. I've always had faith that she will walk. Mm. But, you know, it might not be at the moment. And I feel like just being patient and, you know, just mm. waiting and, yep. and doing the things that we're doing. But it's not to say that, you know, she like she may or she may not walk, but I still have in my heart mm. that I still believe that one day, you know, I still have that mm. faith that she Absolutely. will. Yeah. And inshallah she will because inshallah. Allah has power over everything. Yeah. It's not my position to say that your daughter will not get better. You yeah. know, it's no one's position. No matter how many years of study you have, you know, invested your time in, it doesn't give you the authority or the privilege to actually say those words to someone yeah. because... Allah is the all-knowing. Allah, whatever Allah will to be, shall be. Najat, I just want to thank you so much on behalf of 2MFM and our listeners for providing such valuable insights and perspectives. You know, it's not easy for you to come on here to talk about your raw and personal experiences, but I truly believe that your insights will be, you know, a source of inspiration to other people and help them understand the the challenges and the joys as well of raising a child with this condition. Of course, you know, your dedication and love towards your daughter is so prominent and I believe that she's so lucky to have such a caring and such a loving mother. Of course, your commitment is truly invaluable and, again, I commend you so much. I don't think there's enough Thank words you. to express how how much I appreciate yeah. what you do for your daughter so thanks again for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Don't look at me with pity.